he wanted the death penalty and he wanted it fast. It was speaking generally, that was what he wanted. There were little things along the way um, that he wanted. You know, he wanted evidence returned to family members and things like that. But big picture, what he wanted, he wanted to avoid trials. He wanted to avoid publicity and media. He wanted to avoid being um, taken from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and tried in you know multiple places. And ultimately, he wanted the death penalty and he wanted it. Uh, quickly, he didn't want to sit in jail for a long period of time. Sherry, and this is Outline of a Murder, the Smart True Crime Podcast. I'm Elena. And I'm Mom. So you looked like you had a question right off the bat. Yeah, a thought, because Ted Bundy was so egotistical. Mm -hmm. He wanted all the publicity. He wanted um, the big trial and everything, and he was polar opposite. Mm -hmm. The media is what's interesting to me, how he could possibly think that he could demand that. Right, right. And some of his background may explain why he didn't, you know, expect that. So we'll get into that, to that in a minute. But we are discussing Israel Keys. Uh, what was one of the names of the book? An American Serial Killer or something like that? Um, yeah, that might be a good book to read because there's so little data about him. American Predator. American Predator. Okay, so where we left off with part one is that he had confessed to Samantha Koenig's murder. Um, vicious raped her while he sipped wine um, in his shed, uh, had sex with her dead corpse, which what was interesting uh, last night when we were watching the Richard Ramirez thing, one of the detectives said that people like him, Bundy, and I think this guy fits in with uh, the idea, is that they're sexual deviants, that their murders are always tied to that. And uh, I don't know like every single one, but there's always some type of sexual component. And obviously the same thing with him having sex with her frozen body. So uh, it's just like, where did that come from? Where did they get that idea? You know, again, the question of nature versus nurture. I think basically it's both. I think it's both. There's something going on in their head, like you know, the after show combo on Ted Bundy we'll see some of that there, but I also think it's learned. I think they see things that either feed that tendency or, um, well, like Richard was taught how to kill people by his uh, cousin from Vietnam and then saw his cousin shoot his wife in the head. Right. And that's how he started doing it. But then he also had epilepsy that was untreated. Yeah, brain. And brain abnormalities. And it shows you how disconnected they are. Yes. Anyone else would freak out seeing that, seeing someone get shot. Right. But this guy doesn't want his family or neighbors to think bad. And I think it's an ego. But yet he's proud of raping someone frozen. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if I'm not mistaken, um, like with his, I think it was him where when he was young, he was out in the woods. Now, this may be another killer, because obviously I watch and listen to a lot of true crime. 
But if I'm not mistaken, it was Israel Keys that was out uh, hunting, and he liked killing animals. And everyone else was shocked. His his siblings were like, "That's sad." Like they were sad about it, and he thought it was fun. And that's when he had the first inkling something was wrong with him. They say a lot of serial killers start that way, mm-hmm. and petty crimes and thefts mm-hmm. and things like that. So I want to jump into the courier killings. So we, we ended there. They uh, are a couple, and it's chilling. It's chilling what happened to this couple. So two years before he killed them, Keyes stashed what they call, they're calling a murder kit near Essex, Vermont. So they have found um, a couple of his murder kits. So this is one. You can see there's a gun in there. Um, binoculars. Binoculars. Mm-hmm. It looks like maybe some gloves and things like that. It's the size that of like, like a, a measuring tape. Mm-hmm. A it's not. Home Depot tote mm-hmm. bucket mm-hmm. with a lid. It's and then. It is. I think they mm-hmm. found that one here uh, in, I, I believe it was Alaska Eagle something. I may have it in my notes. But he stashed one of these two years prior to killing them. Two years? Around their area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Essex, near Essex, Vermont. Then on June 2nd, 2011, Keyes flew to Chicago. He rented a vehicle and he traveled a thousand miles to Vermont where he spent a few days fishing and relaxing before he started hunting for his next victim. Because it's important, I think, for serial killers to have the rest and relaxation. Like he did went on his cruise after (sighs) he killed. It's just crazy. Yeah. So, um, anyway... It's, it's weird that they can do things so normal. Like, to me, a guy that likes killing people to go fishing is weird. But, anyway. Okay, so here's what's crazy and what makes this so chilling. He chose the courier's house because it had an attached garage, making it easier for him to get into their home without being seen. And they didn't have any children living with them. So, after the birth of his daughter... He uh, would not kill children. So that's, I mean, you know, he's got some moral code, I guess. And we don't know if he did before. See, that's interesting to me because he told him that. After he had his daughter, he decided not to kill children. Okay, so did you kill children before? Or did you want to kill children before? So he must have watched that couple to know they didn't have children. Oh, yeah. He was, again, very meticulous. Yeah. And let me pull up a, a, a picture of them. Here they are. And so, um, he didn't know the couriers at all. They simply met his criteria. Now, he broke into the house through the garage as planned, and he blitz-attacked the couple while while they slept. He tied both of them up, and they took them to an abandoned uh, farmhouse. And he said it took them five to six seconds. To tie them up and take them? Mm-hmm. To get in the house, time up. That's sort of hard to do in five or six seconds. But they're asleep. So he's on one, on the next one. So I don't know, but he said it only took him seconds. And that's how he operated. No one had time to do anything. No one had time to think. That's he just point, immediately yeah. um, went in and, and tied them up. Funny, a lot of serial killers go in when they're sleeping. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Because they'll be me, more... They're vulnerable. Vulnerable, Yeah. And then he did have the consideration to let them put their slippers on so that they wouldn't cut their feet on the broken glass from his break-in. 
Oh boy. That is bizarre. Well, it's kind of like, remember Matthew Vaca let Brandy put on his shoes because her feet were right. hurting while he was walking her to the destination where he, he tried to rape her and then he strangled her to death because she didn't want to go to college. Again, is it, well, no, because he was too methodical. He was all over the place, that one. This one was so methodical. Why would you care? I wonder if it's because if they cut their feet, there would be a DNA trail. And into the vehicle. Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Oh, because right. we can pretty much have a guarantee he did not care about this couple. Yeah. It had nothing to do with their, you know, concern. I think, again, it has to do with not leaving a trail of evidence. In fact, um, he never said this, but it makes me wonder if part of the game, part of the challenge to him was not leaving any evidence whatsoever. Like he was the smartest killer on the planet. Like to me, that's what it almost seems like his goal was. Where like he said, I admire Bundy, but I'm not like Bundy. That's that's what I think is it was almost like how little evidence can I leave? And he did a pretty good job on this one. Um, he had he had scouted the farmhouse, the abandoned farmhouse earlier, so he knew where he was going to take his victims. He didn't live in the area. That takes guts. He lives in Alaska. And he scouts these areas first for his kill kit, which he, you know he'd let be there for two years. Then he goes into a city, a random city, and finds his victims, finds a place to take them to. That's shocking, because if you look at most serial killers, they will kill in their comfort zone, which is, well, most killers actually, in their comfort zone, even if they're not serial killers, because they're familiar with the surroundings. So it's already a high stress situation, but he didn't, he just went wherever. A lot of planning. In fact, he said, I never killed in Anchorage until Samantha. And Alaska is so far away. Mm-hmm, yeah. So he was very gutsy, well-planned, but gutsy. I mean, there, there's no telling anyone could have pulled up, you know. So, yeah, he, he would scout and all that, but it's fascinating to me that he would do this stuff in strange places that he'd never been to. And keep his kit there for two years. Yeah, that two shows years. patience. That shows patience. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he said five to six seconds to get in and subdue, subdue them. So he took Bill downstairs into the basement first and made sure he was secure. He told investigators it must have taken him longer than he thought because Lorraine had escaped the car and started running. So I guess he tied them both up, put her in the car, took Bill downstairs. So what was he wanting to do? I wonder if he wanted to rape her. Um, I'm not sure. So she starts running, he hears it, he chases after her, he tackles her, he roughs her up, he ties her back up. He said she was feisty. Bill tried escaping several times as well, so he finally shot him. And then he sexually assaulted Lorraine and then strangled her. Mm. So he stuffed them both into garbage bags and left them in the basement. Um, so this is in an abandoned farmhouse. Right. And a few months later, the house was demolished. And the bags were unknowingly transported to a landfill. Oh my gosh. They searched for um, through 10 tons of trash for 12 weeks and never found their bodies. I wonder if he knew it was fixing to be I don't see how. demolished. Sign because he on didn't the live building there. or but he maybe was in construction. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um he didn't say cuz that's pretty lucky. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm so never found him. Now, unlike his previous murders, this murder actually got a lot of news coverage. 
because, you know, I mean, it was weird, like this sweet couple, no enemies, no nothing. And they're just taken out of their home. They don't know where they're at. You know, they've never found their bodies. There's no, you know, they just know they're gone. But he enjoyed the media attention and he would follow it. And he just thought it was funny. But then when he's arrested, he doesn't he like the media. media. Mm-hmm. He don't want to look bad. Yeah. So he didn't want the attention personally. But again, I think it was the game of here they are trying to figure it out and all their stupid ideas. And they have no idea it was me. I think that's probably what he felt. And he said, uh, one thing he said is people never expect it to happen to them. (laughs) Well, that is true. People don't. Right. Yeah. And I... I am not seeing if I have a picture of her. So, Elena, I might have you look up this lady um, once I give her name to you because I thought I had it, but I'm not seeing it. And some stuff I like downloaded into downloads, and I don't want to hunt for it. Did he keep newspaper clippings and stuff of all his? They didn't say. Uh, Now, he did have the murder of the couriers on his computer, but that was it. But her name is Deborah Feldman, F-E-L-D-M-A-N. And she's at, let's see, upstate New York near Tupper Lake. So I don't know if those keywords will help you, but you can maybe put her name in Israel Keys. It'll bring up her photo. So there was another potential victim on his computer, but he wouldn't talk about it. And her name, uh, again, Deborah Feldman, she was 48 years old and very little media attention was given to her disappearance. So to find her name on his computer was significant. Like, why would you have this lady's name on your computer? And wouldn't talk about her. Yeah. Now, she lived in New Jersey at the time. And Keyes admitted to being on the East Coast during that time in 2009 when she went missing. Mm -hmm. And he also admitted to robbing a bank where she lived. So, you know... We pretty much know he probably did it because of that. But here's what's crazy. The bank robberies were to fund his kills. To fund his kills? Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. So he has money in there, too, in his kill kits. So he would rob a bank and have the cash in there with the guns and all that stuff uh, so that he did not leave a paper trail. Robbing banks is very risky. Yes. And very rare to get away with. Yes. And he got away with a lot. He was brave. And they, and so that's what makes me think him using her ATM card so weird. Yeah. Yeah, there she is. So. I wonder if he knew her somehow personally. That's why he didn't want to talk about her. So she was last seen in Hackensack, New Jersey. Deborah Feldman. And you can see from her picture that she's probably had a rough life. I don't know if that's like a um, a mugshot or, but she looks maybe intoxicated or that she's been a drug user. And she may not be. That's just the, the appearance she has. And the reason I bring it up is, is that why she didn't get much media attention? You know, if you look at where prostitutes, or we should say sex workers, because prostitutes is dishonoring uh, in today's culture, but <laughs> sex workers, they they are the forgotten ones. Um, indigenous women, you know, like uh, Native true. American, they're yeah. forgotten. Um, it's sad to say, but uh, the, the throwaways of society are the most vulnerable to predators and they get the least attention, and it's sad. 
So I'm hoping all the murders get solved, but I really hope they can get him tied to her. Uh, that way her family can know. Um, but just because she was forgotten. I don't like that. Now, did he admit to anything? No. With her? And at this point, he's mad. Because now they're starting to get control. They're starting to tie him to, you know, murders that he's not, he doesn't want to talk about. And so he starts getting antsy. He starts getting antsy. And uh, so, yeah, he would rob banks to fund his kills. He robbed a bank close to where she lived. Again, last seen on April 8th, 2009, near a home in Hackensack. Her body's never been found. Um, investigators believe she was buried in upstate New York near Tupper Lake. And then he also hinted at, at abducting a woman from the East Coast on April 9th and taking her across state lines before he killed her in New York. And he also you know, admitted to robbing banks, but he didn't want them to have the information. He wanted to control the cards. And so that's why he started getting agitated. Okay. The only indication that they were on the right track when they questioned them about Deborah's uh, disappearance was his demeanor changed. He stumbled around with his words and he lost control. Wonder why? Because he wanted control. He was a control freak. Probably the worst I've ever seen. Even Elsie Underwood, I think, pales in comparison. So the murder with her. With her wasn't as controlled as the others, maybe? No. The fact they were finding out about it apart from him. Oh, him not telling. Yes. And oh. he was starting to stumble around. And I saw it. I saw the video. He was. He was all over the place. And he started getting agitated. Because, you know, knowing body language, I could tell he was getting really stressed. And uh, so he was so meticulous, leaving no evidence that's almost impossible to tie him to any murder. The uh, They only knew about Samantha because he broke his rule to never kill close to home, and he couldn't control himself. Like most serial killers, he's devolving, getting sloppy, and then the time between his murders was getting smaller, too. He could wait a good two years, but he's now getting quicker and quicker. Okay, so this is where people can maybe come in and help. Um, he alluded to other murders. Investigators believe he committed 11 total, but he actually hit at 12. And then this right here, and, and people can Google it, but he drew this when he was in jail, and it's actually um, 12 skulls. Now, right here, we only see six, but he he drew 12 skulls, and they think they represented his murder victims. Why do they have crosses? I have no idea. Is it a cross or is it a mark? Like they were a target. Uh, I don't um, know. They look um, like And then... Uh, they uh, said that there's possibly five in Washington State where he lived between 2001 and 2007 before he moved to Alaska. So he mentioned disposing of one body at Lake Crescent. Well, isn't that like the deepest lake ever, Lake Crescent, in a volcano? I think it is. It's like I don't way know. deep. I could be wrong. Um, they uh, believe that his first kill was in 2001 after moving to Nee, Washington, N-E-A-H. And he moved there to live with his pregnant girlfriend at the time. And that was around the time his daughter was born, which I find interesting. If he hadn't killed before and then his daughter's born, then he wants to kill. Like, was it the stress of, you know, life at the time? Was it, you know... Um, the stress of having a new baby, you know, what was the trigger? 
I think we always look for triggers, but is there always one? Or did he kill before, maybe? They don't think so. Oh. I think he might have. Um, but I always do. So yes. he... Right. Because there's no trigger, there's right. always a trigger. There's always something where they make that decision. I'm going to do it. But the birth of his child shouldn't be a trigger, I wouldn't well, think. Well, think about it. So let's think about drinking or drugs. A lot of people... Um, use that to escape. That's their trigger. Stress is their trigger. That would be stressful. So it would be rather than drugs or alcohol, he went to killing. That's mm-hmm. true. It could be, and uh, I mean, again, I mean, if you look at people that start killing, there's usually that trigger. But then they can also wait for a year or two before they actually act on it. Even was he interviewed by a psychologist? I don't know. I don't think so. I just wonder what they would say. At this point, they're him. just trying to keep him talking. Right. Let him talk about himself. Let him mess up. The only problem is he hardly ever messed up. He was always in control of the conversation. And then if he wasn't in control, he would just end the interview. He wouldn't talk. So, um, five possibly in Washington State. Um, first one, they think, in 2001. He told investigators they killed people in at least, uh, or at less than 10 states. But he wouldn't give them much more. He traveled extensively across the U.S. from 2005 and 2012. And the FBI, if you go to their website, they have an interactive map starting with 1997 and then a detailed timeline on their site with the types of cars he rented, the towns he uh, visited, the campgrounds he frequented. He also, scarily, made several trips outside the country. So oh they wonder gosh. if maybe there might be some victims. Ew, on the cruise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and y'all are like cruise peeps, the, you know. At the ports he was at, he could have. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know. I mean, very easy. And, and the wife just didn't have any idea. No. And the, and the like, on cruises, you're like a little town, you know, 6,000 right. people. That's a small town. There's no telling who on there is, That's you know, true. crazy. So... Um, yeah, so he made several trips outside the country. He then said he cl- he staged one victim's death as an accident, and authorities did rule them, rule it as an accident, but he refused to tell them which one. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I thought it was definitely him. a game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't usually cuss, but I have a few choice words at times when I think about him. <laughs> Who wouldn't? So investigators are asking anyone with information to call 1-800-CALL-FBI. Now, the victimology here is he killed both men and women, didn't matter, ranging from teenagers to the elderly, which again makes them unusual. You know, normally they, they have a type. Um, and, you know, it alerts them that we have a killer, you know. So like Son of Sam, he killed both men and women like Keys, but he always shot them with a forty five caliber. Uh, which that was kind of weird because usually they don't use guns. Even David Romero's mm-hmm. using a gun was kind of weird. Um, he targeted couples parked in cars making out. And so this gave investigators information into the psyche of the killer, but still they didn't catch him because he had that information. They caught him because someone reported right. him and then it all started going down. Uh, so, but not with Keys. He was one of the most meticulous killers seen and his ability to delay gratification was very unusual like storing uh, kits across the country for years. Serial killers are not known for patience. And he did admit he could not control his urges to kill, especially toward the end. Oh, that's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. 
He also said that he robbed um, banks and homes to get cash and guns to pay for his kills so there'd be no evidence to tie him to the crimes. Okay, Alito. It's mm -hmm. a wealthy town. Okay. And again, he doesn't even live here. Like, how did he know? Uh, he must have just been driving around. Like, oh, that looks like a good house. A lot of research. I don't know. Because he... I mean, Not on bring his a computer, computer, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's just... He did keep some stuff on his computer. Like you said, you're lucky that it, you know, that you got the computer. Um, but it still doesn't answer the question. If he's so meticulous, why the heck did he use the ATM card with the car in the background? Especially in Texas. There's right. anywhere they're going to get you. It's here. <laughs> you know, so it, it's like crazy that he would make that mistake. Got sloppy, egotistical. Yeah. And then losing and using the ATM cards weird because he always robbed, wish he had robbed a bank in Azel. So anyway, I, it, it's like what happens, you know, where they do everything right and then all of a sudden they just, which thank God they do. Did he want to get caught at that point? I don't know. Because well, he was supposedly control, trying to control the urges. Or maybe his urge was so strong he had to have money, he had to have it fast. Yeah. There's no telling. Hmm. So, um, he would travel thousands of miles by flying to an area, renting a car, and then picking random, picking random victims to keep him off the radar, radar. And then he gets caught by video footage. It's just weird. Um, so when he went, now this is interesting, and this is why I think he was devolving. This is why I think he started making mistakes, possibly. When he went on his uh, ATM spree with her card, he reached out to his family and attended his sister's wedding. While there, he blew up and lost control at her wedding. Again, he was clearly devolving. Wasn't that in Cleburne? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I think at this point, it's important, because we're, we're getting toward the end of the season, this uh, outline. I think it's important to dig into a little bit to his family and, and how he was raised. And I, I never, ever do this to excuse a criminal. You know, to me, it's like, you're a killer, you're a robber, you're whatever, go to jail. You know, it's, but I think it's fascinating and educational to look into why, you know, and why might be the wrong word. It may be a motivation to look into their childhood so that you have a reason and you can tidy up the situation, although murder is never tidy. No, it isn't. You know? It's like that reporter that went to interview Bundy and he's listening to classical music and has law books open on his desk. And he's like, well, if he's so normal that I have to admit, maybe I could do something like that. You know, it's like maybe it's the brain's way of trying to find a pattern and make sense of something so terrible because you can't be that person. You know, I don't know, but I do think there are triggers. And you even asked a question last night where... It was like, you know, if you if you had like someone, again, like Richard, where right. he had epilepsy, he, you know, very traumatic you know, stuff. Even some killers even have found tumors. Yeah. Or, so is that. Like, should they not go to jail? I mean, should they be treated instead? And get help or. And my immediate re response was, well, I think they should go to jail because if they ever get out, let's say they don't take their medication, guess what? They're going to kill again. I don't think it's just the brain. I think there's more to it. Now, if you have someone that they have a tumor growing in their brain and it makes them do something, 
that to me would be a little bit different because, but for Ramirez, I don't think it's just seizures. I have a friend that has seizures and she doesn't murder people. Well, it doesn't mean everyone will. Look at the football player that Hernandez. killed those people, Hernandez, and come to find out because of his injuries. But he had he, a predilection to crime and he was he a did. jerk before. But he'd never murdered, and then after the injury, all of a sudden his personality changed. And that does happen. He started killing. Impulse control diminishes. Right. So. I I just think that murder is a heart issue, mm -hmm. not necessarily a brain issue. I think the brain can help or hurt, but I think it's a heart issue, and it's a spiritual issue for sure. And so to me, it's like, okay, if you have someone that has seizures and they go to prison or they have a mental disorder and then they get let out and then they quit taking their medication, they're just going to do it again. You well, know? that could be. But uh, what about some cases you've, you've heard medications can make you act different? Uh, tumors. Very much. There's so. a lot mm -hmm. of things can act you different. Very much. And mm -hmm. and sometimes the desires are how different your brain is saying your heart doesn't seem to matter at that time. And they are thinking that like a lot of the school shootings, if you look at the kids that did it, they were on medications and specific medications that actually, you know, but no one wants to talk about that. They don't they, want to bring that up because big money and things like that. But there is a punished pattern. But, you know, then you have the other side. I mean, mm -hmm. if there's one of you. You know, I'd, or anyone I knew, it's sort of, I would have sympathy. If well, it was something mental or a medication or you should be held accountable, but how severe. And the treatment you receive. I mean, we can right. all agree that Berkowitz was obviously heard voices. I right. mean, that to me would be a mental issue. Yet in a court of law, insanity is only did you know what you were doing was wrong. If they admit they know what they did was wrong then it doesn't matter how crazy they are. To me, for you to murder, you have to be crazy to a degree. But that was changed. Remember the one we did? Uh, I don't know what case it was, but he... Insanity was a lot easier in the definition years ago than it is now. Hmm. If one speck now that you know anything you're doing, you're not insane. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But back then, we just did the case. I just can't remember what it was. He... It was he was he was insane, so his severity of his punishment wasn't as bad. Mm -hmm. It was easier to plead insane back then, years ago in the sixties and seventies. I think people need to understand that you know prison isn't for rehabilitation. No. Prison is to get you off the street and keep you from hurting people. Right. But I have no problem with you know rehabilitation programs and faith based mm -hmm. programs. And, you know, things that help, especially those who are going to be getting out to get an education mm -hmm. and to be able to function in society once they're out. I love the stuff that's been proven to keep them out of jail, you know, like an 80% rate or a 90% rate. Right. But to me, prison's never been about rehabilitation. No, I don't. I agree. Never. But I think it's good if they can do that. Yeah. Typically, the only ones that get rehabilitated are the ones that are born again. Right. Which there's a lot of neat stories about some of the Manson people and David Berkowitz and right. stuff that they have. I, I read a book on it. It was very interesting. But a policeman told me once a lot of people in jail, it's hard for them. If that's what they look for, especially policemen are hardened, mm -hmm. some of them. They all say they're guilty. I mean, innocent. And they all say they found, you know, God. 
In this podcast, I want to highlight again a great resource for crime victims called VictimConnect.org. They have uh, help available in both English and Spanish. And Victim Connect is a referral helpline where crime victims can learn about their rights and options confidentially and compassionately. A program at the National Center for Victims of Crime, it combines a traditional telephone-based helpline, 855-4-VICTIM, and innovative online chat, chat chat.victimconnect.org, and a web-based information and service referral, victimconnect.org. And so there's specialized training uh, where there are you know, victim assistance specialists that help discuss concerns and questions, uh, understand your rights and options, find information and connect you with resources, craft next steps to help you regain control uh, in your life and access referrals. Now, they serve sexual assault victims, assault attempted homicide victims, domestic dating violence victims and or protective order violations, homicide, financial crimes like identity theft, fraud, and or exploitation, hate crimes, human trafficking, both labor and sex trafficking, stalking, mass events, elder abuse or neglect, child abuse, whether physical, sexual, and or neglect. So you can access these resources Monday through Friday using the hotline, but their content is always available at their website. So again, victimconnect.org. Well, and I think for some, it is a place they can hopefully get paroled, but we're talking about people that will never be let out. Never. And um, I think the one that was most fascinating was the ice pit killer. Uh, Sally or... Faye, Tammy Faye, was it Tammy Faye? Um, she was on drugs with her boyfriend, and they killed a lady with an ice pick. Man, I can't remember her name. And by they the time, killed the grandmother, her uh, grandmother or uh, mother? I don't think so. I think it was like a random mm-hmm. girl, and but I'm not sure. But anyway, so they get caught. They went on a crime spree. They get caught, and she goes to trial and it's the death penalty. And I think it was here in Texas. And Probably. um, and I thought it was like Tammy. Anyway, they called her an ice pit killer, but she um, got born again. And whenever she was about to be executed, she wanted to be, she didn't want any appeals, but they were automatic. She's like, I just want to die. And um, I deserve it. I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. I killed and I deserve it. And um, and that was legitimate. She was saved. Yeah. I that remember that. They had a lot of protesters outside. Yeah. You know, now for whether her. I would want her out, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Carla Faye had, Tucker. Uh, Carla Faye Tucker. That's her name. Yeah, Tammy Faye was uh married to the, the ministers. Yeah. yeah. It was Texas. Yeah. Yeah, Texas. I I'm remember that. She had brown hair and she was very remorseful mm-hmm. and saw her interview before she died. Yep. But you don't know, they're manipulators, so well, and she was going to die, and she knew it. So I don't know what manipulation would be there. Um, she didn't want any of the appeals, but I still don't think I'd want her out on the streets. Exactly, and that's that's one of the you were talking about. Jails really aren't used for rehabilitation. They're they keep them there to keep uh, safe. safe, right? Typically. Yeah. So with all of that, let's look at Israel's um, background very brief because there's not a lot on him still, and it was kind of frustrating. So he was born to Jeffrey and Heidi Keys. He was the oldest of 10 children. They moved to Washington from Utah, and they were very poor, very poor. 
His father built the cabin they lived in, in Washington. They had no water electricity, and it was in a very remote location. Uh, they were extremely religious in the Mormon faith. I was about to say 10 you children. You always see that, too, mm-hmm. it seems. Mm-hmm. And so Keyes was basically responsible for the family while his dad worked on this cabin. So he basically was like the dad, or his dad was out in the woods praying. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about faith, especially on this episode. Faith should never replace family. And what I mean by that is you're not more spiritual just because you abandon your family for hours to go pray. That doesn't make you a good parent or a good sibling or a good spouse. It's yes, you have that relationship, but you make sure you understand the first thing created was family. You know, it's not... God first, family second. It's God, and then everything is in that, you know? And so I think as a child, if my dad was either working on a cabin or always out praying, I wouldn't be important to him. Right. Right. You know, and that would make me feel angry. But people that do that think they're doing it for the family. Right. And 10 children. Yeah, 10 kids. How can you, I, I mean, it's unfathomable to me, and I know a lot of successful big families out there it's possible but how can you create those personal relationships with each child make each one feel and then loved and important and valued they're out in the middle of nowhere so he didn't isolated. have a lot of isolation they were probably homeschooled too yeah. but he didn't have a lot of you know a lot of social interaction so he's Very having to be the dad a lot he's having to um you know to watch over everything um and then he has no social skills and what's incredible is he still built a successful business True. Yeah. What are any physical? I mean, lived the American dream and was a serial killer. It's crazy. Oh, I do have the the book. So, Maureen Callahan, which I think she was the one of the detectives. I'm not sure, but she interviewed his mother for her book, American Predator: The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. And she said that his upbringing upbringing couldn't have been more conducive to raising a psychopath. His mother told Maureen that her son was evil, and quite frankly, I'd have to agree. (laughs) Right. He had violent urges at a young age and thought others did. That's it. It was him. Yeah. So, uh, like it was normal. But when he realized that others didn't have the same urges, he hid it. He also thought he was a demon child. Um, I'm sorry, but I immediately thought when the mom said he was evil, what was being spoken to him? Yeah, his whole life. Yeah, because if they're a demon child, yeah, and if they're like fundamental religious, you know, whether it's Mormon or Christian, doesn't matter. Exactly, everything becomes over spiritualized. You got demons. You're, you know, you're the devil. I mean, it just all that stuff, you know, if can be implanted in that child. So so sad too. Once in the interview, he said it felt weird talking about all of it because he kept it hidden so well for so long. But here's a weird twist. A convicted murderer was a family friend. Chevy Kehoe, or Cahoe, um, I'm going to read this directly from Wikipedia. So, in 1985, Kirby moved the family again, this time near Deep Lake in Stevens County, Washington. Cahoe, or Kehoe, entered Colville Junior High School as a ninth grader in 87, where he was an honor student. Coincidentally, future serial killer Israel Keyes was a family friend. In 1988, his parents pulled him and his younger brother, uh, Chain, man, I don't know how to say it, C-H-E-Y-N-E, out of public school, and from then on, they were homeschooled. 
raised with extremely, uh, increasingly extreme anti-government and white supremacist beliefs, Kehoe formed a plan to bring down the United States government with his self-styled Aryan People's Republic militia. To attract recruits, he embarked upon a series of firearms and property crimes that would eventually lead him from his home in eastern Washington to Arkansas as he followed gun show events. In February 1995, he and his father burglarized the Tilly, Arkansas home of William Frederick Moeller, a gun dealer who had a large collection of weapons, ammunition, and cash. And then in June 95, he and an accomplice kidnapped and robbed Malcolm and Jill Friedman, a couple believed to be Jewish, and they owned a store at which Keogh was once employed. In January 1996, him and another accomplice, uh, Daniel Lewis Lee, returned to the home of Muller, and they murdered him, his wife, and uh, his eight-year-old stepdaughter, Sarah, and dumped the bodies in a swamp. Him and his dad? Uh, no, the the family when, friend. Oh, I know, but the friend and the dad. Mm-hmm. He said the dad went with him. And I couldn't find anywhere that Israel Keys was a white supremacist. I couldn't find that anywhere. There's no evidence of it. And he murdered, it looked like so far, white right. people. Right. So I don't think he was. I just thought it was kind of ironic yeah. that a killer was a family friend of a, another killer. Another killer. Oof. So um, now we're going to get to the end. And finish off this series, this episode. So, investigators described Keyes as calm and methodical during the interviews. He always had to have control. And one of his conditions, remember, was no media leaks in connection um, with his name and the murders. Right. Investigators said he was very, very, very sensitive about his reputation. That's in quotes. So, Keyes said he wanted his daughter to have a chance to grow up without all of this hanging over her head. And that, again, he didn't want her to type in his name one day and all of it pop up. Um, I personally believe he could care less about his doctor, or doctor, his daughter. Yeah. And it's more about his reputation. So he prided himself on living that double life, right? The well-respected family man that owns a small business in the same, that lived in the same neighborhood as a senator, top attorneys, uh, law enforcement officials, and other um, citizens like judges, a serial killer right under their nose. That's probably why he moved there, too, in that neighborhood. So he and his uh, girlfriend even um, uh, threw a couple of small parties a year and had everybody over. He also feared numerous trials and being paraded all over the country for each one, so he wanted to die within a year. But again, he just keeps demanding that, and that's not how it works. No. It was uh, irritating. <laughs> it's but not he kept how it asking works. for it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> unfortunately... His name was leaked out in connection to Bill and Lorraine's murder in Essex, Vermont. Well, he couldn't be that naive after doing all this. Oh, he was. That they wouldn't get out. Oh, he was. He felt he had enough control and that they wanted to know about the other murders and that there was no way they let his name out. Mm. So when Keyes heard about it, he was so angry, he stopped talking to investigators for two months. He felt betrayed. Kind of like the BTK, he felt betrayed that the cops lied to him. Oh, my. And he knew everything was spiraling out of his control. Now, investigators tried to build rapport back up, but it didn't work. Even the excitement of reliving his crimes didn't uh, inspire him to talk to them again. He emphasized he enjoyed what he did, and he felt no moral obligation to tell them what happened to his victims to help the families. So that was it. That's it. And, you know, um, that reliving the crime... 
I think that would be very disturbing as an investigator. Like you're sitting there interviewing this criminal and you can see they're reliving it. Yeah. Sickening. Yeah. And then I remember, I think this sealed Bundy's fate, um, especially for the death penalty, when he was interviewing one of his victims, because you remember he was defending himself. Right. And he was gripping the podium so tight, his eyes got dilated and they could tell he was reliving the crime, and they started asking for specific details. I remember I saw that, yeah. And so he was crime. getting all of that, and the jury's watching it. And I think that's when they were like, this guy is a sicko. Didn't they put a stop to it, though? The I think judge, they started somebody, using objection, yeah. objections and stuff, yeah. yeah. And But even with that, the judge at the end said, man, you would have been a good lawyer. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, called him partner and all yeah. that stuff, and I'm like, that's that's what I mean. You know, that's how some of these people are. You know, a judge that's seen everything. And he was a no-nonsense judge. Yeah, he, he was. He took care of his business, but... You went another way. That's you went another said. way, partner. Yeah. You know, it's like, yep, straight to hell. Right. <laughs> okay, so on May 23rd, I'm not sure what year, obviously not long after he was um, caught, so I'm thinking probably 2013, uh, Keyes appeared in court to set a new trial date. And Samantha's family and friends were there. Partway through the proceeding, Keyes broke free from his leg shackles, jumped over a railing into the first rows, row of seats in the gallery, trying to escape. Wow. That's strange. He yeah. broke the... He said the legs? The shackles. The shackles. Broke free, broke free from his leg shackles. Oh, my gosh. Deputies tackled and tasered him while the attendees scream, screamed, Get him. Kill him. So they learned later he had removed a chain from one of his ankle cuffs, but they couldn't figure out how he did that. Yeah, because they Jeez. walk mm -hmm. you everywhere in those. Mm -hmm. How but did he do strength, that? Unless there was just a little bit of a gap. I don't know. He would figure it out. I mean, it would be... Mm. Yeah, he's surrounded by guards. That's strange. Yeah. So his final interview was in late November... And investigators had the sinking feeling that they weren't going to get anything else out of him. So he's like distracted. He kept telling them, well, I'll talk to you next week. I'll talk to you next week. So obviously something's going on. He's planning. He's trying to figure out, you know, what he wants to do. Two days later at 5.57 a.m., a corrections officer noticed blood on the floor of cell three. He called out to the inmate and after receiving no response, he summoned medics. When they pulled back the blanket from Key's bed, they found him lying face down, covered in his own blood. He was pronounced dead at 6.13 a.m. And like his killings, he left no room for error. He first slit open his left wrist along the vein using a razor blade attached to a pencil that was found under his body. He then tied a bedsheet noose around his neck and laid on his stomach with one leg bent backwards toward his buttock and tied the other end of the sheet, ensuring that when he lost consciousness from blood loss, his leg would lower and strangle him to death. Wow, oh. that is um, quite a plan. Wow. <laughs> That's what I said. But he, he bled so much, blood was coming out well, of the Well, he cell. thought of that as well. So he placed two milk containers and cups under his wrist to collect the blood so guards wouldn't find him too early and save him. Jeez. Oh my. That's a foolproof plan. He also killed himself so well 
that the medical examiner couldn't determine if he died from blood loss or strangulation. Oh, and investigators still don't know how he got the razor blade while locked in a segregated scale or cell. It was uh, Key's final act of control. Yeah. Oh, no. The FBI releases interviews and a timeline of events of confessed serial killer Israel Keys in hopes of identifying his homicide victims. I'm Molly Halpern of the Bureau, and this is Wanted by the FBI. Investigators say Israel Keys, who took his own life in jail, committed 11 homicides across the country between 2001 and 2012. Case agent Jolene Godin says investigators have identified three victims. It's really important to us to be able to bring type of closure to family members that are still wondering what happened to their loved ones. Keys also admitted to multiple kidnappings, bank robberies, home invasions, and arsons. He told investigators he buried caches of money, tools, and weapons across the country to help him commit his crimes. Our primary concern is identifying additional homicide victims, but we're certainly also interested in identifying other crimes that he committed because it will help us put him in a particular place in the country. He's told FBI agents he related the most with convicted serial killer Ted Bundy. He didn't really have remorse. He didn't Visit FBI.gov for details of Key's travels and interviews. Report tips to 1-800-CALL-FBI. That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought, wow, just like all of his crimes. I mean, he thought of every single detail. Every single detail. I wonder what the fa his family says, if there was any physical abuse or... Well, mom said he was evil. I don't well, he, he killed animals, right? Hunting. I don't, wow. I don't know if there was. You know, I mean, I obviously he was raised in a radical, deeply religious, you know, environment. But I don't know if he was sexually molested. But, so if his dad was gone all the time, and it makes you wonder about his mother. Now... And 10 like children. what was their relationship, you know? And again, no social skills. And so it, like. But he grew up and had his business and got along with people. People liked him. Yeah. Yeah. And again, no signs whatsoever. I was looking for him. Like, did he ever have a weird face? Did he ever try to, you know, kill a girlfriend? Did he, you know, and I could find absolutely nothing. No statements from the girlfriend? No. Nothing. No, she the daughter. The oh, she did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. And the daughter was little. Um, so I don't, you know, now she would be a young adult. Um, but, yeah, the girlfriend, I tried to find any information from her, and there was nothing. Um, she was pretty. Definitely pretty, but yeah, probably like most of Bundy's, you know, right. ex-girlfriends, they went by pseudonyms when they were interviewed or something like that because they just didn't want to be known. Uh, mm. But yeah, there's just so little on him. So I'm hoping that they can solve more of his crimes and we can maybe dig in some more. But yeah, he was, again, the scariest, most meticulous criminal, and he killed himself so well that they came, they don't even know how he died. That's crazy. <laughs> so He's crazy. And we'll we'll dig deeper into him on the after show combo, some mm -hmm. things that I found out. Um, but okay, so we've done our first season and you know, plan is once a year, you know, to release a new season. Um, any cases y'all wanna look at? Uh, the Sam one. The Son Sam? of Sam? Yeah. Son of Sam. 
I was never interested in Betty Broderick, but when I saw some specials on her lately, that might be interesting. But it's like Bundy, you sort of know a lot about it. I think Betty Broderick would be an interesting one, too. I don't want to give sympathy to a killer. No. But like we were discussing yesterday when we were getting our facials, if there was a case of someone being pushed over the edge and feeling helpless, I bet it was her. Yeah, I think it come close to it. It yeah. doesn't excuse what she did, but the mental torture, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. There's another one I actually saw on the Netflix series. I'll have to get the name. It was fascinating because it was another one where um, everyone that was interviewed was just... Shocked? Beyond shocked. Do you know any details? We might know it. As a man. <laughs> oh, well, well, anything that, else? <laughs> That narrows it down. It stuck with me. It was a big deal. I'll find out. Well, um, one I want to do, and, and I know, Elena, you know, involving kids, um, you definitely let us know that may be one you set out on, but um, I definitely want to look at Chris Watts because he's a guy up in Colorado that killed his wife and his two kids. And, oh, yeah, that was a pretty recent. That's going to be a hard one. And he, um, what, makes him interesting is he also reminds me of that lady that worked or that man that worked for Joyce Meyer as the security guard. Oh yeah. Fathers and mothers that kill their children, there's it's I, I hate to use the word interesting, but there's a pattern. They're starting to learn certain types of people do that, especially the males. And um and so uh, Selfish reasons. The reason I want to do him is I would probably bet, you know, a thousand bucks there were signs. And and then the guy uh, that killed his pregnant wife. In California. Yeah. Uh, same thing. Scott Peters? Yes. Yeah. It's the Lacey. same thing. Yeah, Lacey. And I remember when she went missing, I was in Childress around Christmas time and heard about it. Yeah, they had a special about him not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, is he guilty or not? And there seems to be like a pattern of an adulterous affair, all yes, three. All three of them. But to kill your kids. And so, um, but I knew, because, you know, again, body language, lie detection, right. I teach people that. I'm watching him on TV, Chris Watts. And mm-hmm. I knew right then I wanted to dig into it deeper. But there wasn't enough information yet. And uh, so he's, you know, he's standing there. He's mm-hmm. got his, you know, closed body language. But that's not, you have closed body language right now. Right. You know, so that's not necessarily a sign. No. But when they said, you know, what would you like to say, you know, to the person that maybe has your wife or, you know, your wife missing or how has this affected you? He laughed. He chuckled. And I'm like, Okay. He was ner- nervous, I think, right? Yeah, but he had a smirk on his face, and then all of a sudden he had several flags. He's lying through. Yeah, his the teeth. neighbor even thought so. That was there when the police. And so I told yeah. Mike, I said he did it. He goes, "You think?" I said, "Oh yeah, he did it." Why? Yeah. Why do you think that? So I pointed them out. We rewound it and watched it. And he's like, "Oh." <laughs> denied, denied, denied yeah. till his father. And then he, he broke down. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd like to do that. And um, there's um, one, um, I think it's Sheila Belush, 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 uh, that it's one of those stories where she 
she didn't know the flags that she was seeing meant she'd die. And this guy waited, I believe, 10 years. Wow. An ex. So, um, anyway, there's there's a couple I got in here, but... It's um, crazy how they'll wait years. Mm-hmm. When you think you're rid of something, mm-hmm. everything's okay, and then... And she saw some flags, because when she moved, she didn't get let anybody know her new address. But he figured it out from... Um, like he called someone and said, hey, I think a package is going there, but I don't remember if I gave him my address or her address, like something like that. He found out what her address was. It's sad now because Google, you, you're not protected. No. Women, no. you know, abused, men abused, you're not yeah. protected. Even Google has yeah. their address, phone number. Yep. So there's a few, but I have been floating the idea of maybe doing like, I don't know, say a five episode or maybe a six episode mini season um, of just serial killers you know because the primary work will be again breaking down a murder right outlining it how did this happen you know stuff like that but I think it would be fun I should, that well, not is not fun, a good word <laughs> but I know what you mean yeah interesting yeah if you're if you're a true crime person that word probably you know what that word means like, it right, doesn't mean, right. oh, fun, yeah, let's talk about how people got killed. Like, it's not that. It's like, just, again, the psychology. And how does a little baby turn into a monster like that? You know? And on your site, people can request yes. a case they might want to. Outlineofamurder.com. Mm-hmm. And they can just, comment on what we've done. Yep. But be nice and then don't dox people. So if you... You know, if you have a, you know, someone like a crime, don't, don't give people's addresses and don't, no. you know, stuff like that. So you got to be nice or, you know, I'm a D, I'll block anybody. Right. <laughs> you got to be nice. Okay. So obviously we're about to have our fun thing, but what do y'all think about our first season? I think it's awesome. I yeah, I do it. too. Yeah. And I learned some stuff I didn't know. And I'm a true crime buff for sure. And I think we're probably most unusual because we're the only mother daughters oh yeah that's true i don't i I haven't heard of any other mother daughters and it's podcast completely live nothing taken off nothing added yeah more personal yeah yeah it was fun well you know what i mean fun yeah yes okay so obviously tacos are today yes and we're gonna hope you all stay awake our taco shirts but I think we should discuss Elena the time that I think our mother almost killed us well, even though it's accident I, I yes. don't think I did but so we can't you're not gonna change our mind because you're wrong that's why there's no, well, change. no I did Nor nothing can we change your mind right anyway we can't have gluten and right. clearly our mother tried to kill us with some gluten not only us but also our spouses and Stepdad. Yes. All well, of us got but so hurt. She was fine. I sat up and watched y'all sleep. Which was, was, I thought, fine. interesting. So, yeah, it's like one of those sleepinesses, which isn't a word. We'll make it one today. But we were so sleepy, it felt like we had taken a drug. Yeah. There and, were no drugs. And our husbands were so tired, they just drove right through a red light. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Yes. Really? Yes. Mike said he fully expected a ticket in the mail from Texas because <laughs> he, he he said it was like his brain was operating in slow yeah. motion. I did nothing. And when he saw the red light, it's like his body wouldn't move to hit the brake. Yeah. 
Yes. Some of the mothers always get blamed. Because you You did something to us. Not to mention, these two will actually dig through the trash to see if it's Wait a minute, there wasn't... Or Two, fresh. Elena is the one that dug through but the trash. But you would twice. had you been suspicious. No, I just fear you're you put gluten somewhere. I didn't need to look. No gluten. <laughs> and that was, was weird though because when you dug through the trash, there wasn't anything that showed there was gluten, but it had to be no, somewhere. There was nothing. It was the exact same recipe for ten or I'd, twenty years. I don't think that's it the isn't. Time but I, I wasn't going to bring trash. that up. There was, there was two other occasions where I dug through the trash because I went and looked at the rice. I was like, oh, oh, no, this isn't the same. And I dug through the trash. Oh, there's a rice mix. No, ma'am. No, oh, ma'am. I was tired. I, oh, it, and then oh. there was a time where she claimed to okay, make a pecan was pie. Was I there? Mm-hmm. Oh. There was a time she claimed to make a homemade pecan pie. No, I'm calling it. <laughs> dug through the trash. I've got proof. That's a C. Well, yeah, I didn't drag sure. anybody. Yeah, did. It was bizarre, but no. It what was could it be? really weird. Gluten, it was the exact you. same mix, everything. That Tortillas. was weird, though. Because you use McCormick, I buy the right? same thing all the time. Yeah, that was weird. But it's only happened that one time. I mean, we've had tacos how many times? It was only that one time. By the way, in relation to our shirts today, Jade and Anna is wearing hers today. Aww. She sent me a picture. So she went to school. She's going to share her, her picture she, with us. Yeah, she needs to share a picture. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so real quick before we go, what was it that Ted Bundy did on Labor Day weekend? Do y'all remember? One of the two girls. Is one of the two girls that was missing? It? Okay. Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember. Because you said, oh, no, weird. it's Labor Day. That was weird. Because we did Labor Day weekend, which yeah. this is. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what people wouldn't know. Yeah, we recorded the entire se- uh, series in Labor Day. Yeah. So. He's still the most fascinating to me. Yeah. Just the, everything. It was like a new chapter of a book every day. His well, trial, his firing, being the lawyer. I learned The crying is, to me, fascinating. I learned that Elena definitely does things in threes and in corners. Yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah. We, we, really, went, I, we went through the house. I was showing her. I was like, "Wow, I knew. Well, I knew it all—the threes and the corners." Well, I didn't know, and you do twos. I like evens, but you when like it comes evens. to decorating, I'll do threes because you're supposed to. Oh, really? But, yeah, but not because I'm OCD. I don't think I do threes. We'll find out later. I do. We will. Mine is just we'll everywhere. But you do like your stuff not moved around like me. Oh, I don't Oh, which, either. by the way. I don't either. But I'll, that did backfire. I can come out of the bathroom or come home <laughs> and all my pictures are moved. My whole living room was your moved. Your couch. Your my couch. couch. Okay, so the couch, though, it's like it did when look good. I come visit, So <laughs> notice the emphasis on I so when I come visit the couch is my spot I get on there we start our true crime lay down and Steven your husband will give you the blame um, he moves the couch to the other side of the wall and puts the love seat in my spot and it looked weird well not only that but it was hard to have a good conversation so far apart yeah well he Steven was proud well, he well, should not have been. Nice and wanted y'all, you know, he tries to help. Yeah. So, Elaine's like, hey, let's move it. I'm like, okay. So we but just... you move things, not only that, 
pictures but it was irritating because we get done moving everything and then of course we're waiting for them to get back for the reaction so you walk in and you're like you know at first you don't notice it and then you stop and you're like what's going on here you know something's different so we tell you and then it's like oh it looks better and steven's like oh yeah i really like that so bubble burst. Yeah, that to burst an bubble extent, big time. Because it did take you a while to figure. It that out. was. Fun. Was that before the taco time? Y'all fell asleep. Oh, that was. Oh yeah, that, that was. I think my last one. visit. Oh. Yeah. Maybe you should think of what happened. See, why you didn't I would even, even know what it was. Why I would even do that? Because your mom, you do silly. First of all, I didn't accident. do it. But if I was going to do it, it probably was there would be no rhyme or reason. Maybe. You might have done. We'll something. never know. We'll never know. You never know. The and you love Mike and Dusty. You wouldn't purposely do something. Yeah, you wouldn't them. purposely poison yeah. them. Right. What wouldn't poison you purposely? <laughs> I didn't do anything. Like, I'm telling you. I To check Detective Joe Kenda says. Exactly. You never know. Who, you know, people think they'll never kill. And he kill. also says, my, my, my. My, my, my. All right. <sighs> so. Be smart. Be rude. <laughs> and don't be a victim. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <coughs> the main source for this podcast is FBI.gov, Murderpedia.org, and Medium.com, Israel Keys, The Monster Who Moved to Anchorage, article by Robin Bearfield. The primary source for this episode is The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy, updated and expanded edition by Elizabeth Kendall, 